Good evening. Today is October 3rd, and we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter is There is a Solution, and our speaker is John Kay. Thank you very much. My time? <laughs> oh, thanks. I'm John Kiernan, compulsive eater. Um, the, you guys missed all the behind the behind the scenes drama because I had it on my calendar and then I can't find any information, which I usually put in my calendar. So then I'm checking my email. No, I'm checking my text. No. And it turns out we had done this with uh, Facebook Messenger, which I didn't check. But so luckily, Lisa goes, hey, what's going on? And uh, I was ready. I just couldn't find it. So anyway, thanks. Could could you just give me a, a little, uh, am I just talking in general? Am I trying to talk on there as a solution or uh, on, I notice your group is about, uh, you know, finding a higher power. Give me an idea of what you'd like. I'm pretty easy. So the, the idea is that we're speaking on the chapter, there is a solution in the big book. So any experience you have or any um, any ideas about that are, are the topic. Okay, hold on. I just want to grab the, my book. Um, <laughs> make sure I know what I'm talking about. I'm so sorry for not being as prepared as I usually am. I just uh, had a little bit of trouble getting this figured out. I can look at the things I have um, highlighted. I know that. Um, and talking about, you know, it's, it, you know, the main thing it talks about, I think, is, um, you know, the fact that, that you found a common solution and that, um, you know, facts about ourselves and facts about the drinking and uh, or eating in this case aren't really going to help. Um, I know I had great intelligence and it got me to 300 and something pounds. Uh, could handle most anything that um, life had to, you know, throw at me with the exception of two addictions, you know, uh, food and alcohol. And, you know, I, I've, I'm, I, I've changed careers, by the way. In the last uh, couple of years, I've become a drug and alcohol counselor. And it's really good because I take the stuff I learn here and I find a way to translate it so that it doesn't come out pure 12 step because the both the treatment centers I've worked at aren't solely 12-step, but everything in the big book is, you know, germane to how to get and stay sober or, you know, abstinent. And one of the things I try to explain to people about that concept of insanity is, is that it's a very specific insanity with us. It's not, you know, if we were, if I was just generally, you know, you know, if I ended up like in the middle of, you know, uh, the street, you know, you know, babbling to myself, I'd go, wow, I got a brain, I, I better not uh, trust this brain. But most of us are so, um, you know, we're so able in all these other areas, except this one, that it drives us crazy that we can't make this work. And um, the way I explained it and do explain it is, um, you know, if you think about what insanity is. I found the perfect definition for insanity as it has to do with, with addiction. And it said, uh, insanity is a state of mind that prevents normal perception. You know, so think about that for a minute. Um, if you think of how you go through life, what, what is sanity? It, for, for me, it is we make 
thousands of decisions constantly every day, right? You know, what am I going to wear? Where am I going to go? What am I doing? This, this, and that. And we all do a really good job with it, right? And the reason we do a good job is that we are using our perceptions, our sight, sound, logic, things like that, except we have a disease that prevents normal perception in just this one area. And uh, before I became a drug and alcohol counselor, I spent many years in the computer business. And uh, I said, if you think of it this way, we've got this really good computer here that we use in wonderful ways all day, except in this area. And the reason we can't is we're getting bad data. We're getting data that is corrupted. It's why it can take a perfectly reasonable man who thinks he understands sobriety and sit at a bar and take a glass of whiskey and put it in the milk and say, well, that should be perfectly logical, right? And every time we hear that story, we all laugh about Jim and his, his whiskey. And the thing is that um, he probably laughed too, but just not until the next day, right? Think of what we have done. How many times have we said, what the hell was I thinking last night? <laughs> you know, what, what, why? I, I hear I'm going to meetings, I'm doing all this stuff, and yet I, I'm, I'm going out, you know? And that's where, to me, yeah, again, if you follow the steps, steps, a wonderful progression. You, first of all, have to realize um, that you have a problem. And the way I, I describe it, I, I, I do some talks. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Vision for You group, um, but I do some talks for them, uh, the Sunday special editions. And I did one uh, once called Working the 15 Steps. And what I meant by that is that steps one, two, and three are totally different if you're coming in and you're brand new versus being around a while. Because in the beginning, it is coming, you know, it is realizing you're powerless over your disease, your food, and that your life's unmanageable. Two, realizing that, you know what, this brain has got corrupted data. I'm not making good decisions in this area. And three, I need help. I need help, whether it it is totally from a higher power, but in my case, it was more from a higher power speaking through the people that were in these rooms who told me, hang in there. And, and I had to have some faith, not necessarily in a higher power, but the faith in what these people told me as to how this process worked. And, and by doing that, I was able to move forward. And I'll just jump real quick to explain why I call it 15 steps, is because where I am now in life, the first three steps are totally different. The first step one is I am powerless over people, places, and things, right? And finally get that. Two, I get, I still have a broken brain. I have a brain that doesn't work exactly right. And then three, it is that I need help. I need help from, you know, a sponsor, a, a higher power, um, and, and outside third parties that can tell me and to be willing to check in, you know, in most areas of, of like, you know, anybody who, who works as a psychologist usually has a therapist of their own because you can't see the things that happen to you. You need help. And to understand then that that's how that that is. And then to think about, you know, the solution of this, of being willing now. It depends on where everybody's higher power is. I, when I, at work, I'm dealing with a lot of people 
uh, with a huge swath. Some people have faith. Some people are born with a faith and ran away from it. Some people were born of parents who were total atheists. And, and it's okay. What I got told when I came in, when I was arguing, I joined the debating society and I was like, I can't be part of this religious program. And they told me, no, it's, it's spiritual. And I was like, oh, no, look, look. And I had the steps on the wall. It says, God, 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 God. <laughs> and the guy said to me in my, like one of my first meetings, he looked at it and he goes, okay, leave it out. And I was like, what? And he said, leave it out. Your disease is looking for some reason to head out the door right now. Don't worry about it. You can be here till you're 110 years old. Nobody's ever going to tell you you have to believe anything, what to believe, etc. The one thing we ask is try and keep an open mind. Try and not get into contempt prior to investigation and see if maybe the problem is what how you are defining uh, the concept of a higher power. I think most of us come in, you know, most of us don't sit there before program and say, well, what exactly do I believe? We get a hand-me-down religion, right? We get a hand-me-down faith that was given to us by our parents who got it from their parents, et cetera, you know, and we have to real, we have to realize that doesn't necessarily work. Um, I have lots of friends in program who are, rabbis who are Catholic priests, who are nuns, who are Protestant ministers, cantors. If this was simply a matter of understanding a higher power alone, they would not have needed to be here. But they have the same problem I have. And I've always said, I think the 12 steps were God's gift to the 20th century. You know, it was the rowboat that we get in to row to shore. You know, we can't just get in the rowboat and sit there and hope that the tide will take us there. But there is a solution and it is in this rowboat. And just like I and you and everybody else, the priests, the ministers, the rabbis, they have to, to, to do the work as well. And getting a concept of what that is for you is what is one of the things that will help you the most. In the beginning, I always said I needed a sponsor way more than I needed a higher power. Now, the reality is I believe my sponsor was a connection to my higher power. I just had trouble seeing that at the time. And I, I tell sponsees now, I happen to believe that this rowboat we've been given has a thread going somewhere to some kind of a higher power. I can't believe these two amateur guys got together and managed to pull this one off without some kind of extra help, right? But I tell my newcomer people that I talked to, I said, if you have no belief in a higher power, that's fine. Cut that little cord and just believe in the robo. Believe in the process. And it does take faith because you're told to do things that you just think are the stupidest things you've ever been told. What the hell is doing an inventory going to help me with my food? What the hell is amends? And the thing is that all the things that the steps tell you to do, you don't understand until you're past and looking backwards. And that's where the faith has to come in, that the, what the people tell me, told me in this program, they did because they had my best interest at heart and they weren't lying. And sure enough, as I moved along, I griped like hell about my first fourth step. Yet when I walked out at the end of my first fifth step, I, I was like walking on air and I could look people in the eye 
I hadn't been able to look people in the eye for probably at least five, 10 years because I had such just shame about everything. And so the idea of taking that process and, and continuing to work on ourselves. Now, I am a big believer in you still have to put the food down, uh, that, that working steps can't be a substitution. I always tell people, I said, you, you know, this is the food is what got us through which got us through our problems, got us through whatever was going on. And now they're asking us to put it down. And that is the thing we use to get through life. So we have to find something else. And uh, an old sponsor said, put down the food, pick up the big book. And I really believe that that was one of the things that helped. And I dove in to working this program and I dove in and what people told me to do, I just did which is totally unlike me. I've got this brain. I used to think I was open-minded, but my idea of open-minded is I'll listen to what you say, and if I agree with it, I'll do it. But that's not how it works. I always say that some of the stupidest ideas I ever heard came from my sponsor. And but what I mean by that is I would listen to my sponsor, hang up the phone, and go, that's the stupidest goddamn thing I ever heard. But, you know, I came from a program that said bitch and moan and do it anyway. And so I would do it. And when I was done with it, just like the fourth and the other steps, I would say, oh, my God, this is exactly what I needed to do. But I thank God I didn't put it through my broken brain. A lady named Marcy from where I live always said you can't fix a broken brain with a broken brain. And and the idea of moving forward on this was what helped. And like I said, I came in as a what I called a total atheist. I know now I think I was an agnostic. And you know what? The thing I love about the big book is the title, We Agnostics. You know, it doesn't say you agnostics. It says we agnostics, meaning, hey, newcomer, we were exactly where you were when we came in. Let us talk to you about our journey and what worked for us. And um I needed to hear that. And I came to a belief in something. It's not your typical Judeo-Christian thing. And essentially it is, my belief is everything's happening exactly the way it's supposed to. I don't have to like it. I don't have to agree with it. I don't have to condone it. I just have to accept it because at the end of the day, whatever's happening, chances are I have no control over it anyway. It, it Whether it's it or another person isn't thinking about it at all, I'm the one who's walking around with the extra acid in my stomach and gnashed teeth and things like that. And the concept of acceptance, once I got it, was like the biggest aha moment of, of my life, that acceptance is, at the, it is pure self-compassion and self-care. It is a very selfish act and selfish in the good definition of the word selfish, meaning I am taking care of myself by taking whatever that situation is, which is almost usually something we don't like. Nobody sits around going, I can't believe I have to accept I hit the lottery. No, it's always something that, that's bad or you don't like. And, and, and five it's almost more, always, five, okay. Thank you. Uh, it's almost always something we have no control over. And so the choice is ours. Do we wanna hold on to that? Do we wanna hold on to resentments? We are the only victims of that kind of behavior, you know? The other great thing that working these steps did for me 
is is it gave me a different way to look at myself. I was so hard on myself. Um, and I look at the, the place I worked, a lot of the, the, the clients then, place, patients there are young, they're t- early 20s. They remind me of me when I was young. And they are so hard on themselves and so self-critical and so self-damning and all that. And I think one of the real gifts from program came from getting a concept of, of some self-compassion. You know, in my business, they'll talk about self-love a lot, which I, I have a little bit of problem with because I always say I had the, tri- the, the trifecta of cynicism. Okay, I'm an alcoholic New Yorker who was a comedian. Okay, so I anything that's just the slightest bit, either woo-woo or whatever, I just roll my eyes at. And when I would hear the concept self-love, that was one of those ones. I felt it was very self-indulgent. But what I've come to say now is, see, now it's it's self-acceptance, accepting that I'm a human being and I am going to just screw up royally any given day. I don't want to. I want to. I want to be perfect, to be honest with you, but I'm not. You know, there's a great line from page 417 of the big book, not the acceptance paragraph, but the one right after it, where it, Dr. Paul says, when, when I criticize me or you, I'm criticizing God's handiwork. I'm saying I know better than God. And for the longest time I read that as when I criticize you, I'm criticizing God's handiwork. But it doesn't say that. It says when I'm criticizing you or me, I'm criticizing God's handiwork. And what that means to me is I'm exactly where God wants me today. I don't like it. I want to be better. I want to be perfect. But maybe there's a reason I'm here. And maybe I need to accept my humanity so that it's easier for me to accept others. You know, one of the things that hit me a while back is I said, you know, we're all just these little kids running around in these these adult suits, you know, and none of us got the manual. Right. None of us got the manual on how to live life, how to get along with everybody, how to just have everything go smoothly. And so we spend our entire lives in a, just an unending series of trial and error and trial and error and trial and error. And some of my errors hit you and affect you and some of yours affect me. And we all, we all look backwards at all of our errors and just drive ourselves crazy, second guessing it, whether it's you know damning ourselves for the things we did wrong or second guessing every bad decision we made. And of course, every bad decision, we always aggrandize the path not taken. Oh, if only I'd done this. Well, I have no idea whether that would have actually been any better. And so that's one of the things that's really helped me. And I'll just end on this. When I first came in, I remember sitting with one of my fellow newcomers and I and I was watched the old timers and I had such respect and I wanted what they had. And I was saying to somebody one day, you know, I feel like. Like life is this big stormy ocean where you're, I'm getting, I'm in a little dinghy and I'm getting bounced all over the place and I'm just barely hanging on. And I look over at those old timers and they're like ocean liners and they're just going, no bouncing, no anything. And I said, and I want that someday. And, you know, I've got there now and I have gotten to that place. And what I understand, I couldn't understand from the outside looking in, but I could see from the inside looking out is I'm an ocean liner, but I'm an ocean liner made of mesh. You know, I'm not plowing through the ocean. The ocean's plowing through me and I'm just letting it happen and I'm letting go 
and I'm trusting there's a reason for all of this. And that's the higher power I believe in. Am I to- could I be totally crazy and life's really just this random thing? Yeah, maybe. But you know what? It works for me. It makes my life happier and, and makes me more content and peaceful and serene. And um, I hope that helps somebody. <laughs> Thank you for letting me share. Thank you very much, John, for your share. All right. We will now open the meeting for questions or for three-minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions, or star nine if you're on the phone, and the Zoom host will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. With the timekeeper, please timekeeper, please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when time is up. If the speaker is asked a question, please allow three minutes for the answer. All right, let's start sharing. Hi, everybody. Oh, go ahead. Hey, I'm Meredith in Nashville, um, compulsive overreader. Thank you so much, John. That was like a fire hose. Oh my gosh. Um, when I first came to OA, I remember a fellow saying, um, just get a higher power you can do business with. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Don't let that, um, hinder you from jumping into this program. And, um, for somebody to say that is, is total, um, faith really (laughs) that it's, that it's not up to me, um, to dictate anybody's higher power, what they should have faith in. Um, and it says to me that my God, my higher power, who I call God is not threatened by anything. He's not threatened by unbelief. Um, he's not threatened by any of that. Um, I love that you reminded me to, um, read the acceptance story again and, and highlighted that line. It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And, um, you know, I heard a share recently about, it's similar to you saying, you know, all of us are just kind of stumbling through this life. We don't know what's coming. We don't know how to do anything. (laughs) I mean, in general, you know, and they uh, compared it to parenthood. None of us, even, even if we have multiple children, no two children are the same. It's not the same set of circumstances. If you're a parent for the second time, you're the parent of two babies, you know, it's just, and none of us knows what we're doing. Um, so what better reason to have faith and hope and a higher power in my book. Thank you so much, John. This was really great to hear tonight. Oh, can I say one more thing? I would love to, uh, I guess, can I just type your name into vision and find your special edition? Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you. I have like, I think, I have about, I think eight or nine of them up online and I'm, I'm doing 
one at the end of October also. So it'll be a ninth one or 10th one. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Amy B, you are next up on my screen. Go ahead. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ian and Yvonne, for your service tonight. Amy B, compulsive overeater, living very gratefully in a recovered state today. Thank you, John, um, for sharing on There is a Solution. There is a Solution. Um, it's really interesting for a chapter called There is a Solution. It spends the first, like, 10 pages of it talking about the problem. And then on 27, it says, you know... Um, vital spiritual experiences. Once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. And the next page on 28 talks about the work by William James, varieties of religious experience, which basically says there are a whole bunch of ways that people can come to a higher power. And um, there is a solution. So um, speaking for myself, I came to the rooms of OA to stop killing myself with my substance. That is my purpose. That is my, that was my driving force. And what this book told me is that the, that the solution to that problem with which I was killing myself is to find a higher power, which is tough for me to hear when I first came in, but thankfully varieties of religious slash spiritual experiences in this chapter start by telling me that people you know we think it no concern of ours what religious bodies our members identify them with or you know this is an entirely personal affair not all of us join it's this is this is letting us know that um this is the way to it is finding a higher power and that can mean a whole bunch of things but that is the solution to the thing that i came here for i did not come here to find god I did not come here to find God. And in order to do what I came here to do, I have to find God. And that's what this chapter tells me. And then it says each individual in the personal story is described in their own language and from their own point of view, the way they establish their relationship with God or our higher power. These are we are putting our individual narratives. That's why we come to meetings. That's why we share. That's why we have outreach so that we can put forth our personal experiences, all the varieties of experiences with which we all, if we're, if we're pursuing recovery through the 12 steps and through the big book in which we all pursued a relationship with a higher power for the purpose with which we showed up, which is to keep ourselves from killing ourselves with this uh, disease. Thanks so much. I, it's always good to be here on a Monday and start the week with everybody. I'm real grateful for all of you. And I've asked. Amy, I just tell you, I always like to remind people that William James was not a theologian. He was a psychiatrist. And that I, I did a, one of my uh, special editions was all about finding a higher power. And I said, this hand-me-down thing we got, we have to tear it down and rebuild it. Now we may rebuild it exactly the way we got it originally, but then it's ours. It's not theirs. It's ours. And we have some kind of a personal guy. All right. Thank you, Amy. Uh, Jan, you're up next. Did you say DNA? Oh, I'm doing it. I'm not supposed to be um, Laura couldn't have walked into a better meeting uh, yesterday. 
that I moved from California to Virginia. I spent uh, uh, probably about six months making up the decision that I wanted to come back east. Dean, I can't really hear you very well. Or can you, is this something going on? It's better. Let me come back, okay? You're good, Jeannie. Keep trying. I think you're good. Just hold closer and we can hear you. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm having a really, really good time. I've broken my abstinence. I was felt very higher power motivated to come here. Um, and I've landed and I have just fallen apart. And I keep saying my higher power, I'm, not, I'm just really lost in my pain. Um, I don't, I don't know what to do. Um, I don't, you know, somebody running a party for me. It's just, I feel like a little kid that has no family. And then I come on here and I see people that I saw when I was in California a few years. And it's like, oh, wherever I go, they're there. Um, so that was really helpful. And then for you, John, to share, um, I feel like I made a big mistake. I thought, you know, all those old voices that were um, had been worked out or silenced or my, my program, my bath, and that's all I really want to say. I just wanted to tell my disease. It's, it's got a hold of me. Thank you. Thank you. And John? Thank you, Jeannie. All right, Rich, you are up next. Thank you, Ian. <clears throat> Thank you for your service. Uh, my name is Rich. I'm a compulsive overeater. And John, that was absolutely very clear. And um, I really appreciated all of that. And um, it's kind of like newsflash. There is a solution. Ah, my addict doesn't want to hear that. It's like, no, 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 this, it's, it's corrupt up here. The program is corrupt. And um, it didn't happen overnight and it's not gonna undo overnight. Um, but there is a program to get better. It may not cure me, but it, there's a program to get better. Um, I just found it fascinating, John, as just before the meeting, I was having some gratitude and I say God, so I'm going to say God. I was having some gratitude for God because I was think I don't know why just before I was just like, wow, I have really fucked up a lot of shit. And and a lot of people have come to help me. A lot. You know, and I don't know why they came to help me. Um, and there is no other explanation other than for me, other than God. Um, and it doesn't mean that I don't question other things like God, why is this happening to my family? God, why, you know, are people, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What I do know is when I went to work this morning, 
there was no discussion about the solution. But when I came here and heard you, John, and you said, just get in the rowboat. And then you finished with saying it was an ocean liner. I was like, wow. Well, I don't know if I'm an ocean liner, John. I'm not a very good swimmer, but at least I know I'm safe here. So thank you. Thank you very much, Rich. Um, we're going to have Amalia, and then we're going to open it up for unrecorded shares. Take it away, Amalia. Um, thank you, Ian. And thank you, John, for um, your share. It was really, really great to hear. Um, I really liked what you were saying about you know, that there's like 15 steps to the program in a sense. Um, I'd never heard that before. And I was like, what are you talking about when you first said it? Um, but I really definitely agree. And it's so interesting because I feel like for me now, like at least for today, the food is less of an issue and much less of an issue than it ever was. And I'm so grateful for that. And that's all like my higher power is completely to thank for that. Um, but it really is like, you know, I'm powerless over people, places, and things that I do not remember every day. And every time I do a step 10 or I do my step 11 inventory or I'm talking with someone, it's like, and these are the things I'm talking about. Like, I'm powerless over all these things, but I don't recognize that because while I'm going through the day, you know, things happen, things you know, upset me and definitely less than they used to, which is a miracle. But, and I, I don't always remember that I am not in control, that I have to rely on my higher power in all of these affairs and that I truly am powerless over all of the outcomes of my entire life. So really, really great to hear that from you um, today. And another thing, I just have like a question actually. Um, so I know you were saying you're like a, in drug and addiction counseling or something. Um, but I'm curious if you use, like when working with people, I don't know like exactly how you work with them, but do you share your own experience? Um, I'm like in school for clinical psychology. So this is something that I've always wondered. Um, and yeah. Well, it's a good question. You'll see it'll come up a lot uh, you know, about self-disclosure and everybody has different ideas on it and levels. Uh, some people want to just sort of keep the tabula rasa and not let anything in about themselves. I happen to be just the opposite. I want people to know, you know, what my struggles were. And I, and I tell, especially a lot of the people who, I'm, who I work with, I go, you know, when you get to my age and you look the way you do, if there's one thing you wish you could do, it's that you could get in a time machine and go back to when you were 20 or 25 and tell yourself then all the things you know. Well, I can't do that, but I can tell you the things that I've learned along the way. And um, and uh, yeah, and, and and so I I let them know about being a compulsive eater. I let them know about being an alcoholic. I know, let them know about being a child of two alcoholics. Um, and it depends on who they are. If I'm doing one-on-one -on -one counseling, I always take their temperature of, are they going to meetings? Are they into program? If they are, then it's almost like we're just having a one-on-one 12-step meeting, but some of them aren't, or some are being slowly drawn 
in. And I spend a lot of times trying to, I jokingly call it deprogramming them. I'm doing this, this special edition I'm doing in a couple of weeks is all about the words of program and how some of the words people hear, especially when they're not from program, can be off-putting and to uh, about if you can reframe some of these things, whether it's the, the concept of surrender or acceptance or higher power. So many people have misconceptions in their head. The brain is a pattern matching machine. And so if you hear something like surrender, you have a, a negative idea of it. Most people do. And what I say is surrender and acceptance are two of the most powerful things you can do for yourself. Um, you know, the most powerful thing you can do is to admit powerlessness, which, you know, sounds like an oxymoron, but for me, it's too. So anyway, I would say if you feel comfortable, I I can only tell you, I went to, I went to school and there were a couple of us who were recovering alcoholics and the teacher was like, well, you don't really have to be. And we looked at each other and like rolled our eyes because I wouldn't have wanted to hear somebody who didn't know about compulsive eating tell me how to do it, you know? So anyway, that's my thoughts. Thank you, Amalia, for your question and for John for your answer. Uh, we are going to stop recording these shares and 